I wanted to start with a story, a story of a boy who grew up on a farm with his parents. He had a tough relationship with his dad and, and as he grew older, things got colder with his mother as well. One day he decided enough is enough, packed a bag, took some money, bought a ticket and, and took the train to, um, to the big city. Lived there for a good few years, never wrote home, not once. But it just always nagged at him, or at least for a while anyway. Nagged at him how he treated his parents, how he'd left so suddenly. But then eventually, you know, the momentum of life kind of took over and he was able to just push that pain into the background. And he pretty much forgot about it. Perhaps you can imagine what it was like for his parents, for his mum who cried for days and, and for his dad who did the same. For his mum who didn't touch his room, just left it just like it was in case he might come back one day. For his dad who threw himself into work. They waited for a letter to come, but, but one never came. One day they decided they saved up for a train ticket, went to the big city themselves, walked around looking for him, stayed with a, with a relative while they were there, put a, a notice in the newspaper, put up posters, but no sign of him at all. So they went home, still no letter. Till one day, the post office rattled and a letter fell onto the mat from their son. It was, it really was from him. You see, things had gotten hard. For him, he'd got a little older, begun thinking about his parents again, about what he'd been doing with his life, and he would think about them when he when he was trying to get to sleep at night, and then he couldn't sleep, and he would justify himself and say, "Dad was harsh, and there was no future for me here, and you know that money was coming to me anyway." But he just couldn't get it out out of his head, and so he decided decided to go home. But then he really realized he couldn't he couldn't possibly face the idea of walking back into town, walking up that drive, knocking on the door and seeing his parents again. He, he couldn't do it. And anyway, what if they'd moved house? So, so he sent a letter instead. Mum, Dad, if you're sorry, uh, sorry, I'm sorry for all I've done. Please forgive me. I'd like to come home. I'll be on the train on such and such a day, such and such a time. If you're willing to receive me back, would you tie a little handkerchief to the cherry tree at the bottom of the field by the train tracks? And then I'll know. But if there's no handkerchief, then I respect your decision and I won't trouble you again. So the day came, he packs his suitcase, gets on the train, not of nervousness in his stomach, it just gets worse and worse as the train pulls out of the station, gets closer to home. The guy across the way notices him shifting in his seat, looking sweaty and, and nervous, and he, he asks him what's wrong and he, and he pours out the whole story, tells him everything, and then says, I just can't bear, just can't bear to look. So would you look for me when we go past the bottom of the field? Would you tell me if there's a handkerchief in the tree? So he puts his head in his hands and he waits. And, and is there a handkerchief? No, the man says. No, there's no handkerchief. But that whole tree is covered with blankets, with towels, with every shred of linen that seems like it was in the linen cupboard. I'm pretty sure your parents want you back. And so he gets up at the station and there they are, older, greyer, Tears rolling down sunken cheeks, but arms open. He's welcome home. All is forgiven. That's a beautiful story, isn't it? Wouldn't it be wonderful if that kind of forgiveness was there for me and for you? Not just in stories, but I mean, if it was true, if we could really put our lives back together again. If there was some way that when we'd, when we'd made a real mess of everything, we could put Humpty Dumpty back together again. What if there was a way? Well, Jesus says right in the middle of this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that there is a way. Right here in the humility of praying, 
forgive us. Forgive us our sins. Right there in the middle is this way back. This way back which meets this deep need that we have. I mean, maybe you feel it, maybe you don't. But here's God in the flesh telling us, telling us about life, teaching us to pray, teaching us to orientate ourselves around reality, around God as a a father to love, around God as our heavenly father to honour and to worship. He's saying life revolves around him and he's the one you come to for all of your needs, for, for bread, for shelter, for water, for all those things that we need physically, but also for forgiveness. That's your fundamental human need, he says in this prayer your body and your spirit, your stomach and your soul. You can't split them together. You need food and you need forgiveness. That's our first point today, really, is that we need forgiveness. Just like we need food, you need forgiveness. Just as much, if not more so, than you need food every day. The second point we'll get to in a bit is that forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive others. Our hearts will be changed when we realise just what God has done for us. But what is forgiveness? Why do we need forgiving in the first place? Well, we need forgiving because we are all that boy in the story, one way or another. See, God is like our father. He's built this world for us and we've turned from him. We've turned our backs on him. We've gone our own way. And that, that would be a good thing. You know, if, if you're in an abusive relationship or, or something like that, it's a good thing to go your own way, to turn your back. It could be a kind thing to do that. But with God, with the God who made us, and the one who sustains even the atoms of our being, that's not a good thing, that's betrayal. That piles up a huge debt for us to live in his world, but walk away from him. It pours into our hearts a deep well of dark water that bubbles up and we just can't seem to control. Forgiveness is the only way back from the guilt and the shame of that, of turning our backs on God. I don't know if you feel that, We're not very good at really feeling guilt in our culture anymore. We've got pretty good at squashing it, at wiping it away by saying, you know, I follow my own rules of making up our own ways of living and saying, don't judge me and I won't judge you. We've not got so good, though, at covering our shame, have we? I mean, the shame of looking at other people and and measuring our lives up to them, the shame of looking inside at our own dreams. We try to do it. You know, people try and say, oh, you do you. You know, you just decide what you want to do and then you can get whatever... You can try and get there by by buying this or doing that or employing that person or voting for them or taking this supplement. You can get there. I wonder if you feel how cold that that is, though. I mean, it seems empowering to begin with, to try and get rid of this shame, to try and be somebody, to try and and be who we're, we're meant to be in our own strength. It feels empowering to begin with, but in the end, it's a really cold thing to say because when you fail, there's no way back. If you don't have the money to do that, well, you know, tough bananas, as we say in our family. Um, there's no forgiveness there. It's just try harder next time. And so you can't measure up. I mean, who can measure up to their own dreams anyway? So we're full of this shame. We don't measure up. We're not who we want to be. And this crisis just makes it all the worse, doesn't it? We're weak. That's what we're finding. We're limited. Life is short. I'm not the master of my fate. I'm not the captain of my soul. And we're in danger of being crushed by shame, of being choked out by guilt, because I can't even live up to my own standards. So is there another way? Jesus says, yes. Jesus says there's a way back to peace and rest. He says this, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Teaches us. 
teaches us to come to our Heavenly Father in this prayer and ask for rest, ask for peace, ask for cleanliness, ask to be covered. That's what we're asking when we say, forgive us our sins. We're saying, Lord, I am not good. I try to be. I've done my best. I'm trying to choke down that dark water in my heart, but it keeps on crawling out and trying to cross the fence and, and wreck my life and the lives of other people. I just can't stop it by myself. I can't be who I'm made to be. I know I should be better than this. We say, God, I'm sorry for that. Would you forgive me? Please, in your mercy, wipe out my sins. And you know what? He says, yes. He says, of course I will. You see, forgiveness is costly. Costly for God to do that for us. But it's a cost that he's more than willing to pay. That he would give his own son to die for us. That's what it costs Jesus. I mean, when you forgive someone all the cost is on you, isn't it? When they've piled up this debt because they've betrayed you, they've lied to you, they haven't done what they should have done, or, or they've, they've messed you about, there's this debt and only you can let go of that. Only the person who's the victim, only the person who's, who's been wronged can forgive. You can buy someone's mercy, but you can't buy forgiveness. See, God has to wipe out this debt from the goodness of his own heart. We can't buy it off him. And how does he do it? Well, he does it by, by giving us his only son, by giving us Jesus to stand in our place, to, to go to the cross and to die, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus paid that costly price. And then three days later, he rose up again and he wiped away all of our guilt and covered us with his goodness. You see, the cross is about Jesus taking that costliness on himself, drinking up the pain, pouring it all out on himself, soaking it all up in his own body on the cross for us so we could be free, so we could be clothed in his goodness. So he doesn't just take our wrongness and our failure. He gives us all of his goodness instead. He wraps us up so, so our shame can be covered, so that, we can, so that we can walk tall and be confident before God. All that should happen to us, happen to Jesus, so we can be free, so we can know peace. So you can be that boy coming home on the train, but without fear this time, without the question in your heart of whether he'll even welcome us at all. You can know when you're coming home to God, when you come to Jesus day by day in this prayer, you can know that he'll welcome you with open arms. You don't have to be shaking in fear. You don't have to ask somebody else to see if there's rags in the trees. You can look in history, not just at little stories. You can look to history and know that Jesus loves you. Know that the Father has given everything for you, that his arms are open wide and that you're welcome home. That kind of love should humble us, shouldn't it? Humble us to the dust, but then lift our eyes up to the stars as we see how much he's loved us. So what do we do to get it? Well, we pray this prayer. We admit who we are. We say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I have... I have darkness in my heart. I've done stuff. I've been someone who just, I don't even meet my own standards. Lord, would you forgive me? We confess it from the bottom of our hearts. We don't deny it. We don't try and get out from under it. We don't just say, I'll do better next time. No, we confess it, bring it all to him. And then we abandon it and walk away. We admit it, we confess it, we abandon it. And we do that daily. It's a daily practice for Christians to come to God, to remind ourselves of who we are or who we were. And then to remind ourselves of who our father is, who loves us. There's amazing freedom in that. It's a beautiful thing, thing to know that God remembers our sins no more. 
that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far our sins have been taken away from us. You could do a geography um, activity tomorrow with your kids if you like. Try and measure out the distance between the east and the west. Little hint, it's an infinite distance. You can't do it. It will keep you busy all day though. Um, so maybe you could try. But as far as the east is from the west, that's what God says. That's how far your sins have been separated from you. He's clothed you with Jesus's goodness. So when he looks at you, he sees you and he sees Jesus's purity and he welcomes you home. That's an amazing thing. That's something that turns your heart inside out. It's a beautiful story. You can read it in Luke chapter seven, one of the biographies of Jesus, of a woman who comes to a party she's not invited to. She's the kind of woman that really wouldn't have been invited to kind of tidy religious parties of, of like well-to-do people, but she turns up anyway because she's been forgiven by Jesus. She comes to Jesus and she, she doesn't care what anybody else thinks. She just pours herself at his feet, weeps, cries, dries his feet with her hair, pours out her perfume on him. It's a beautiful story. And Jesus says she's doing this because she's been forgiven a huge amount. She knows how she's been forgiven. In contrast to the, the kind of prickly, frosty religious people who, who are resting in their own goodness, who are trying to buy God's favour. No, let's be those people who admit who we are, who throw ourselves at Jesus's feet, who give him everything that we are, and who have our hearts changed because of that. You see, all of us need to be forgiven. And once we have been, once we really know what we are, that it took Jesus to die for us, then that'll change our hearts and we'll be people who forgive people. See, knowing you're forgiven will change you. Taking that truth right deep into your hearts will change us. But what does it look like? What does it look like to forgive somebody else? Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a, a German um, pastor and theologian in the Second World War who fought against the Nazis, who, who stood against them and then was executed a couple of months before the end of the war in 1945. He really knew what it meant to forgive and to live with people who were doing huge harm to himself and to others. He wrote this about forgiveness. He said, genuinely to forgive would mean making the best of the wrong that has been done to us, would mean repaying evil with good. It means accepting the other person as if that person had always been our dearest friend. That's no small feat. That is deeply radical, isn't it? Have you ever heard anything like that? It's unsettling, isn't it, to think that that's what God calls us to. When he calls us to pray, not just forgive us our debts, but also help us as we forgive our debtors, as we forgive those who sin against us, would you forgive us? When he says, for if you forgive others' trespasses, their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. It's a deeply radical thing to do, isn't it? But just think for a moment, that's exactly what, that's exactly what God has done for us. It's exactly what he's done for us in Jesus. He has treated us as his dearest friends, even though we've rejected him. He hasn't repaid our evil with evil. He's done good to us, more good than we could ever imagine. So forgive. Whatever has been done to you, is it any worse than what we've done to God? Jesus calls us to forgive. What does that look like practically? Well, you could think about it like this. Forgiveness is making three promises. Think about that person who you need to forgive. You need to make three promises, one with yourself, one with them and one with the community around you. Three promises. First one is this, not to dwell on it personally. I'm not going to be eaten up by bitterness. I'm going to forgive that person and let go of it in my heart. It's going to be costly. It's going to mean me soaking up all that pain and, and not, not making it hang over their heads. 
That's the second promise. I'm going to let go of it personally and bring it to the Lord and give it to him. And then I'm going to not use it against them. I'm not going to hang it over their heads and, and, and treat them the worst from it. And for, I'm going to pray for them and look after them and do what I can to see that they're blessed and that, that they're loved. And then promise number three, I'm not going to gossip and drag them down in the eyes of others. So I won't dwell on it personally. I won't hold it over their head and I'm not going to gossip about them more widely either. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is taking that cost on ourselves, not making them pay for it. And it's a daily commitment. It's costly. It's daily too. It's not just a one-off event for us, is it? It's an ongoing choice. It's a daily habit. It's a commitment that we make to ask for forgiveness ourselves and remember who we are before God, but also a commitment to forgive others. A commitment to say, I will not hold it over their heads. I will not hold on to bitterness. I will not drag them down in the others eyes of others, even though they deserve it. I'm going to make a commitment. And it takes time for that decision to settle down, to trickle down into our hearts. So we need perseverance. We need patience. We need God's help, his supernatural help to give us the heart of the Lord Jesus, to help us digest that pain so it doesn't keep coming up and, and pouring itself out. Because that's what happens when we don't forgive. When you don't forgive, when you want that person to pay and you insist on it, you don't let it go, what happens? Well, the irony is you end up, you end up paying for it. You end up being eaten up by bitterness. You end up not being able to move on, just being stuck here. And even worse than that, when victims don't forgive, they end up becoming victimizers themselves often. We end up being so eaten up by self-pity, by bitterness, by self-righteousness, that, that that ugliness almost seems to to pour out from us and onto other innocent people. You see, not forgiving has consequences right now, but Jesus says it has consequences for the life to come as well. Eternal consequences. If you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, neither will your Father forgive your sins. If you refuse to forgive someone, Jesus is really clear. If you're clinging on to an unforgiving spirit, you're showing you have no idea how serious your own sin is. You're showing you have no idea how much God has done for you. You're showing that you're not trusting Jesus, that he hasn't changed your heart. You're showing that you haven't really come to him and understood what he's done for you. Because he's forgiven this million dollar debt of ours. How can we hold a ten dollar debt over somebody else? It's not that forgiving is a way of buying God's forgiveness. No, it's, it's that if we hold on to this unforgiving spirit, we're showing that we don't really trust him. We're showing that we don't have Jesus' heart. We need to forgive people. Maybe we're reluctant to do that because it's painful. Maybe we're reluctant because we haven't really realised what forgiveness exactly is. I hope this has helped so far, but let me just help you think of the flip side. Think of a couple of things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not trying to feel good about horrible things. Forgiveness is not... The absence of anger. No, we should be angry at betrayal and adultery, at lying, at greed, at injustice. Those are things that do real harm to people that God loves. Those are things that hurt God, that make him angry, so they should make us angry. Forgiveness isn't saying that it's okay, that, that it's no big deal. No, it, forgiveness is recognising that it really is a big deal, but that God has done something so powerful, so deep, so wide in Jesus, that it's possible to forgive. It's possible not to hold that over them, but to still be angry, 
to still say it was wrong. So sin is not that. Sin also is is not the absence of consequences. No, people should face consequences, not as a condemnation, not as a stick to beat them with, but as discipline to help us to to love each other, to help us not sin anymore any longer, but to love. So so we might still report someone to the authorities. We will still discipline our children. We might have to help put somebody in prison, but we don't do it out of anger, out of kind of like a vengeful anger. I mean, we don't do it out of trying to get our own back on them. No, we do it as we hand them over to God in the hope that it'll bring good in their lives, that it'll help them love God and other people better. No, forgiveness isn't about being a doormat. Forgiveness isn't just giving others a free pass to sin. Forgiveness, well, that wouldn't be love, would it? Forgiveness is about loving people. And sin hurts people, hurts the person who does it, hurts God, hurts those around us. So sin isn't just letting people get away with it. We might have to have some hard conversations and do some difficult things, but forgiveness means letting go of it in our hearts and passing it over to God. How do we seek forgiveness? Well, we need to use those words. Will you forgive me? When someone comes and asks you for forgiveness, let's say yes. Let's say, I forgive you. Not just, oh, don't worry about it. Don't minimise it. Let's forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us at the cross. See, forgiveness is a beautiful thing. Forgiveness takes great courage to ask for, but it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful, but it takes great courage to give. Forgiveness is a doorway to the peace and freedom of, of knowing and loving others. Forgiveness is a doorway to the peace and freedom of knowing and loving God and knowing his love of you. So let's pray today. Let's forgive those who we need to forgive. Let's ask forgiveness where we need to ask for it. Let's walk through that door as we pray together. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Amen.